Hello everybody, welcome back to the And Again podcast. My name is Omer, I'm a football writer and analyst and I'm joined today as always by my co-host HA, football content creator that focuses on the tactical parts of the beautiful game. We're recording this just as Manchester United have drawn to Spurs. It's 10.30 right now. Uh, we'll try and get this up on the Friday um, so you'll be able to get sort of our relatively immediate reaction to that game and then I think most of the episode we're going to dive into Manchester City and Arsenal's game. Um, a lovely game. We've spoken about Arsenal loads throughout sort of the arc of uh, yeah. the first season of the podcast. And I think like we uh, sort of w- what we were hopeful for uh, in terms of Arsenal falling off and things like that kind of uh, ha- have transpired. Um, but th- there's so much more nuance to it and uh, there's loads more to discuss. So we'll do that sort of uh, towards the middle uh, and, and last part of the podcast. Before then though, H. Give me some thoughts, some feelings, some some first reactions to that two-two uh, draw. I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen two halves so different. Like, yeah. I thought the first half of football, I thought it was one of the best uh, halves of football we've played. Like under Eric Ten Hag, we were controlling possession. Uh, Spurs weren't really pressing us, so they played right into our hands. I thought. We finally got what we wanted from Jaden Sancho, which was the separation. Intent. You know, we always talk about that separation. Yeah, like, yeah. Proper. And and it wasn't the first time we got one cleared off the line as well. So, mm. you know, he actually was changing it up a bit. And that was really nice. A goal was mint. Uh, and then the Marcus Rashford goal, like centre forward movements off the shoulder. We've talked about it before. I've tweeted about it. And then it seems to be going so perfectly, controlling a football game. And then next thing you know, we make three or four changes. We knock every single goal kick long. We lose second balls, um, invite pressure. In a game that we didn't need to invite pressure on, uh, it, it was so mind-boggling. Like the reason why we adapted to that second half style because we played through them so easy in the first half. It almost looked like we were cruising. Even at one nil, like we could go on and score four or five here. Like this could be embarrassing for Tottenham. Yeah, and then we just give Tottenham exactly what they thrive off. Like, and it just made no sense to me. And the entire of the game boiled down to boiled down to that tactical switch at half time. If we would have kept it the same, you know, who knows? I would have rather have tried to play out against Tottenham. And if we would have given up a goal through trying to play out, they would eventually collapse because they can't press. They've not been coached how to high press that effectively. Yeah. Um and it was disappointing. I'm actually more angry at that than I have been for any of like the big losses this season. Yeah, and, even though it's like, not I'm like so a, angry. You still get a point but it somehow feels much worse. Yeah. Mm. But like they were there for the taking. And the worst thing about it was going off chances. We both had chances to win the game. Bruno had a chance where he like slipped it through someone's legs and hit the crossbar. Yeah. Um, but they also had a chance like Eric Dyer had a header in the six yard box. And like there was just good chances in the game. Even Perisic in the first half had a chance which he just blazed right at Dyer's head. Um, <laughs> it's like he's probably probably he's proper thrown me off that because we were playing so well and then. It's almost like Ericton Hag is naive, not naive, like the opposite of naive. Like he's too, he's too like shy of sticking to his principles and he almost kind of goes against everything and just like shuts up shop and then goes pragmatic and shuts it all up. Like kind of how Arteta used to do, but not, he's doing it right at half time instead of doing it like Mm. after the game's cruised a little bit more. Do you have any sort of thoughts as to why that might be because obviously I think the consensus ideas right now are, are sort of like the 
the shift in Man United happens when sort of these subs happen. Anthony goes off, sort of White Cross comes on. Yeah. Um, sort of as the game progresses in general, United sort of uh, a thinner team than they have been uh, at earlier parts of the season. Obviously, fatigue plays into it. Um, yeah. what, what do you... So I'm asking you more so uh, than giving my own opinions on it, obviously, because you know a little bit more um, and I didn't catch the entire game. Um, and I, I'll jump in with my own little theories and ideas but I just I, I want to get at what you think sort of might be the cause um, because like you said the first half was so impressive it can't or can it be sort of just this complacency that, that gets into United after they, they establish a lead yeah it could be I mean for all I know the instructions might not have been to force to play long you know um, I just it feels like the the depth in personnel we have available um, and the quality of that depth is nowhere near good enough. Um, like I was, I was a, not a big fan of the signing. I understood the the White signing. I understood what he was going to bring to United. Um, but as an impact sub, it's not really a player I want to be seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, going we're going two 0 up in games and we finished that game with a front four of Weghorst at ten, uh, Rashford off the left, Martial up front, and Bruno off the right, and it's mm. just cramming in personnel. So. Yeah, and we played under 20 minutes on Sunday, so I think yeah. someone tweeted at me saying, like, why did you think the intensity weren't there? But the intensity only really happened when we brought the players off the bench who didn't start in the final, mm. uh, in the semi-final, sorry. So it was just like, it was almost like a bit of a lapse in concentration. People have been calling for Fred to play a lot more in these games, um, and we've seen that him and Casemiro can't control the game well enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it capitulated from the substitutions. I think it was poor in-game management, something I defended Eric Ten Hag on the Sevilla game, but I do think that was a bit of a different situation because of injuries that were forced. Hmm. Another thing, we didn't look tired. Like, we didn't. We the, the start of the second half, we went straight back in. We were knocking the ball along, but when the ball was won, we were still controlling possession, still controlling the game. Um, and yeah, it was just poor and... The difference between the Brighton game and that game off the ball in the second half was night and day. The Brighton game, we we actually kept them quite far back, but Spurs just walked straight onto us. Yeah, uh, and we sacrificed and we you know we suffered for 30, 40 minutes in that second half, and we give Spurs exactly what Spurs wanted. And I just feel like in games of that magnitude, when you need to go and get three points and you're in such a good position at half time, why would you give the team that are losing the one thing they want? Like yeah. in any capacity, I understand you want to protect a lead, but there's got to be a point where you can still protect the lead and still limit the opposition to chances rather mm. than maximizing what they want. You know, um, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. The, there's so I'm sort of going off what what people are saying and sort of the feel I'm getting from sort of social media, Man United fans, etc. Uh, tell me a bit about Casemiro. I feel like people were were really critical of Casemiro's game. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what, what sort of, what what the difference would have been today, um, sort of compared to early on in the season. Yeah. Well, me and you have spoke about it. Is he's a clean passer, but it has to be facing the play. Mm. Um, so not not really know, under can't... pressure. Yeah, and there's multiple players in the Premier League who can only do this. This isn't like a deficiency. It's almost a skill to play with your back to play. Yeah, like if you can play with your back oh, to certainly, play, certainly, yeah, it is. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's not Difficult. something that someone yeah. should have. Yeah, but it's something that is 
a quality and a very good quality in a possession based side. But he's he's brilliant at breaking up play. But in them games, it, it can just become hot potato in the midfield. Mm. Um, it, it's very controversial. I've, I love Casemiro, um, I really do. But you know, a lot of people have been getting cuts left, right, and centre for picking players like Rodri over him. Um, whereas for me, Rodri offers the same class, off the ball of his own, man. than what he does on the yeah, ball. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And I just think um, for all the good, we, we said this the other day, it was like when I went to watch him in person, it was almost like the way he shuffles in front of the back four is unlike anyone I've ever seen. Like, yeah, he's yeah. ridiculous at covering grass and the space looks so much smaller when he's in it. But in games, when it is frantic like that, it really is an eyesore to watch. And when his midfield partner is also bad under pressure and on the ball as Fred is. Yeah. It just creates like, it's just domino effects. Like it all just comes crumbling down. And for all I have criticized David De Gea for not being able to control games, um, the pivot midfield in that second half was just as bad as the goalkeeper. Um, was there a reason why Ericsson was substituted? I don't know. Uh, this is the thing. I don't know. Um, he got brought off in the FA Cup semi for Fred. Um, he didn't play anywhere near amount, the amount of minutes that a Rashford did, that a Bruno did. Mm. Um, He's coming back from It didn't from really an make any sense. It's sort of in general. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. But like, I, I, I think there could be an argument for Ericsson as almost like the most vital cog in terms of taking think, United to that would, next level. Um, I would agree. Because obviously we've agree. mentioned... In possessional based games, yeah. it is night and day with and without him. Yeah, 100%. At least somebody in that mould. Because obviously, I think even if you do go long, the, the importance of of sort of a side after they go long is winning that second ball. And then second of all, um, not sort of going so direct to force another turnover, but sort of to retain it, sort of pass it sideways, get it moving yeah. under pressure. And I think you need somebody who's really technically able to do that. I think for Liverpool, for example, when we saw those like really good club sides that sort of jeweled in the midfield. Um, you had you had like Wijnaldum, who was really um, sort of competent in recycling the ball and, and retaining it. Uh, at Man City, we have so many of those guys who sort of jewel in the midfield and they keep it. Gundogan, Bernardo, Rodri for us. Um, so I think like Ericsson, not the most physical player by any sort of means, but if somebody wins it and Ericsson's nearby, you sort of know you can give it to him and he'll keep your side having the ball and, and having the game tick along. So that's interesting. I think you're just a little bit thin in general. Um, and, and yeah, know, it, 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 yeah it needs a window. It's another justification for, sure. for the subs having, yeah, I think it is a good, it is an okay justification for bringing on Fred in a game where we were going long because he is a better second ball winner than Christian Eriksen. Um, but my problem with the game, my problem with that second half adaptation was we didn't need to adapt to that sort of style. I understand that, we did adapt to it, but and you did bring on Fred and blah 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 blah. But Casemiro and Fred are a good second uh, initial and second ball winners for sure. Mm. Um, but when they win the ball back, it's the retention aspect, it's the controlling aspect. There wasn't yeah. a calming head in there, um, and I don't. I don't think that I think Christian Eriksen is very good, but I don't think he's been before he got injured. I didn't class Christian Eriksen as like a crucial player to this Manchester United side. Um, but now he is the only midfielder we have who is somewhat capable of um, controlling a game properly and you know sustaining pressure for us. And yeah, it's it's a problem. And I'm trying not to get too trying not to get too wound up about the whole situation because I know 
there's certain personnel <laughs> that will be addressed in the summer. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it's just like for me at the moment, it's very hard because I understand that some of the personnel is like stopgap. But when the stuff is coming out about you know the new David De Gea contract, some of the midfielders were being linked with, some of the other players are being linked to. I'm thinking this isn't the guy. This isn't going to yeah, be the yeah, one that yeah. helps this situation. Um, so yeah, it it really does hurt that that result because <laughs> the performance was so good for 45 minutes. But that yeah. that, that result has proper done me over, especially considering well, Spurs it- was so bad. Yeah. yeah, I I only saw sort of pessimism from Spurs fans and things. I I mean, people were saying like, people were making jokes about sort of another refund uh, for this game as well, sort of in the first 20, 30 minutes. Um, but obviously they brought it back. I want to just bring uh, up a, a little stat that I have here um, just before we move on to the Man City and, and Arsenal discussion. Uh, but apparently Man United have played seven Premier League uh, away games against the current top nine. Uh, this season and they've only got points in one game and that's today so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll reel off the results 4-0 Jesus Christ 4-0 lost to Brentford 6-3 lost to City away obviously these are all away 3-1 lost to Villa 3-2 lost to Arsenal 7-0 to Liverpool 2-0 to Newcastle and then 2-2 to Spurs so I think there there could be I mean there's there certainly a Do you know what's funny about every single one of them games Every single one of them games we deserved to lose. Hmm. Yeah. Well, apart from the Tottenham uh, There's some one. big, the there's there's some big like, losses yeah. there as well. They're, they're, they're very fickle. Quality. This team this team's yeah. very fickle. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it because when we go away to games against the bottom half, it seems that we play just a standard game unless the team is very like tactically you know aware and stuff like that and they press us high but but for the most part the them games like i don't i probably wouldn't have had confidence going into any of them games yeah um do you know what i mean and it's just something that it's just something that we've become now you know we can't control games to a high degree um and even when we take the leading in them sort of games like we did today and like we did against manchester city these games oh no we didn't take the lead against manchester City. that's a lie <laughs> um, like we did to, like we did today when we took the lead against Spurs like we just give the oppos- opposition every single chance they need to get back into the game yeah and I'm and just I'm all for I'm all for like playing a style that suits the personnel available to you best but when that when that style that you're playing completely gives up the other half of the game to the opponent and lets them go on the front it really does grind my gears. It's like I think even then there's a way to there's a way to do it. Like I think if you're gonna play long, for example, with De Gea, then you need yeah sort of a midfield profile who are gonna win and retain it, or you sort of need to do what you did against Brighton in that. I think I think the yeah. ball winning against Brighton was was impressive, um, and there wasn't yeah. that intention to sort of go direct straight away. It was more win the ball. Yeah, it was more of a plan B. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the problem. Today, it wasn't a plan B. For the second goal uh, that they scored, it is quite obvious that we can play out of it, but because of the crowd getting up for it, because they scored, because we're conceding the possession, we've conceded the control of the game, everything's up Everything's up for grabs. Everyone's erratic. There's no calming head. Mm. It, you know, even De Gea's not comfortable, but the players around him probably aren't that comfortable, you know, receiving the ball. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it was just, it was one of them games and I just think, I was going to say something then. Um, 
Oh, what did you what did you just say then? Oh yeah, this, the the ball winning. Yeah, the ball winning. We don't actually have a routine. Do you know like when teams knock it long and they hit it into an area to a player who's either and then like two really or three guys sort of surround the area. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, they either clamp down. We don't do that. Like we just hoof the ball into into the pit. Like we don't like. None, none of. If you look at like mm. De Gea's long, long pass map, is there no pattern? Like, ma- pattern or, there's or, no or pattern. Rhythm, it's yeah. just left, right, center. Yeah, every. It's just scattered all over the place, which tells me that it's not instructed. Because if it was, surely you'd be asking him to either dump it between all the midfielders because you got your second best ball, uh, you got all your best second ball winners, mm. or fly it over to Weghorst, or you know at least let it go out for a throw in on, yeah. on Spurs' yeah. side if you're going to go long. Um, none of them factors played into it, and I don't, yeah, it's just another thing. I just don't understand it. Like, <laughs> it, my brain's fried. My brain's fried. I understand why we're going long, yeah, but why we went long in the second half when we didn't go long in the first half when Spurs show no sign of pressing us is it's just that, yeah, that is bizarre. Head, I might like, need to go and sort of sit down and watch that because to me that doesn't make too yeah. much sense unless it's just sort of like a. It's the it's the most I've seen us control the game in the first half in a while. Like yeah. we can see the chances in, in, in transition, but we were creating more. Like <laughs> honestly, so, you could have the Spurs Spurs crazy. made some changes at half time though, didn't they? In terms of Um I think they brought off I don't know actually. Or maybe it was in shape or something. I think I saw some people mention think, that. Um I forgot I think his they name made now. changes like in the early parts of the second half, I think. I think they brought Kulazevsky on. Um that poor old guy is a wonderful goal as well. He's, he's really I can't clean he's pulled, striking. Yeah, I can't believe he's pulled that out against our club, though. There's no need, man. <laughs> the thing is that there's a lot of criticism on, on Poro at this point, um, sort of in terms of defending in the back four that sort of concedes pressure control. I don't think that's naturally his game. He's sort of a lot more attacking. I think when you get a team or, or coach, sorry, that coaches Spurs to be sort of imposing in possession, get him in the attacking areas, using his ball striking. I think there's a player in Poro um, especially if you have like a sort of a right-sided defender behind him that's sort of able to cover a little bit for him. I think there's there's quality there. I'm not surprised that he did when when Tottenham tried to impose themselves a little bit, get some joy. But we'll move on uh, to discuss the big game, uh, City versus Arsenal. I think there's loads of little tactical nuances here uh, that we can speak to. Um, I thought it was an absolute schooling, like a real, genuine, like, Boys versus men masterclass um, from from Pep Guardiola especially. Oh, what a what a genius man! I loved I loved that man with with all my heart. Um, I mean, yeah. What like what what sort of impressed you the most? Because for me, I think when I was watching the game, firstly the the there was a respect shown to Arteta. I, I, I would say I think a lot of people sort of I don't know maybe maybe thought that because City was so dominant and Pep was so impressive in his setup and things like that, that sort of City were clear from the beginning. I think the approach that City took kind of showed a, a, a lot of respect to uh, Arsenal and Arteta putting four players centrally in the build-up, um, sort of having the, the full-backs as well, not high up, but also like sort of in the second line. It was there like six players essentially. Um, and then Edison as well, really heavily involved in the build-up all to manipulate this Arsenal press. Um, and I think sort of just the, the, the pure like quality, and I know it was sort of a generic word, but just the pure quality on an individual basis of, of 
of Gundogan, Rodri, Stones, Diaz to to manipulate the angles, sort of move from their, their, the cover shadows of the, of the players around them. I think there were so many like Deserby-esque um, sort of mechanisms. I think you posted a picture of that. I tweeted it as well. Um, so we can we can talk about all of those things, but yeah, let let me know what what you really thought stood out most to you um, in, in in this in this game. There's so many things to pick from, like in it, man. It, yeah, oh, I thought it was a cra- it was pick, a man. it was a crazy good game. It was yeah. a crazy good game from Pep. I think I really just liked the fact that there were so many spanners thrown into the works for Arteta to go up against. Yeah, um, and I, probably the most impressive thing about it was the fact that when Arsenal come on to Manchester City, because in my opinion, they are probably the best pressing and out of possession team. I think Newcastle probably got the best press, but I think Arsenal are actually the hardest to break down structurally. Yeah. Um, but I think, well, it could be sitting now. Um, well, I think that, because <laughs> um, I tweeted yesterday, I was like, maybe just say you're just the best at everything. Like, it, it always, but, I mean, um, every, every season, it sort of gets to a point where Pep figures what out. Do? You know what? I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you get back to your point, but I don't know if it's always, I mean, it's always intentional, but I think there's lucky little moments that, that inspire the story. I think Cancelo having a, yeah. a falling out with, with Pep and Pep stumbling on sort of Aki, Akanji at fullback. I don't know if that would have happened. And I, I, I think we're, we're far better for it. Um, then, then if Cancelo had stayed, who knows where, where our win streak would be, or, or or what sort of system we'd be playing at the moment? I know Aki was getting minutes over um, over Cancelo, but I wouldn't be surprised at any point if Cancelo would have gotten the team over Kanji, for example. Um, but yeah, yeah. What were we see? Sorry, I just wanted to to speak no, about this, the stories. Of, of completely saying. fine. I, I do agree with that because I actually said that when when they did it, I think. When well, he was obviously doing it at the time with the with Aki at left back, but he's never using Akanji as a, as a fullback until that that sort of stuff happened. I don't think so. It definitely is. It definitely is something that is. We said it the other day, like with Eric and Hag finding out about uh, certain things. It was like an accident will like stumble across it. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think what I was going to say was just the fact that he he basically posed a, a game plan that consisted of. Like a like a like a four two four or a two four four or whatever in build up, mm. and basically said to Arsenal, if you press us, we're going to lump that ball up to that six foot five bloke up front when you're playing Rob Holding, and then watch KDB run off him and KDB, see what you can do about that. By the way, and intermission, then intermission, it, brother, I let you land, but but we have to speak about KDB, please, because wow, yeah, I mean, let me Google how old this how old this guy is. I mean, there was a point this season he's where. He even admitted, I'm getting old. Sort of, he, he had like a few yeah. weeks out of the team. And then in the business end of the season, he shows up, he's sprinting 30, 40 yards, dribbling in and out, hitting near post, long shots. Like, what a freakish, I, freakish player. I actually think he's one of the fastest players in the Premier League when running with the ball. Yeah. Like, he was galloping quick. past players. Yeah. yeah. Like, he was galloping past players. Like, I was so, I was in awe. And, I do think people have like put question marks over Aaron Ramsdale, but there's a there's like for the first goal, there's a camera angle from behind De Bruyne where you can see the ball go outside the post and come back in the post, yeah. and it's like this guy has mastered ball striking. Well, even mastered it, even in that moment where he he's sort of driving with the ball, it almost looks like he's going to shape up and hit the other other side. 
Um, and yeah, I think you would naturally expect that across. to do. Yeah. Um, so I think Ramsdale yeah. sort of wrong-footed or his his weight shifted to the other side and then De Bruyne instead of going high and high and left he goes low and low and right and I think Pep Guardiola's mentioned uh De Bruyne's sort of one of De Bruyne's glaring qualities is his ability to make the right decision and execute it correctly whilst running at high speeds yeah. I think that's so rare I think yeah he said only him and Leo Messi do, to do find it. the pass yeah. yeah yeah like it, like the fact that he can sort of sprint. I think it's probably informed a little bit by his Bundesliga like tutelage, isn't it? Um, that ability to sort of carry, drive, make yeah. these decisions uh, in quick moments, and you wouldn't really expect sort of a, a Pep Guardiola midfielder of of his Barcelona era to be a player with those sort of qualities, with those sort of tendencies. So it's a testament to how Pep Guardiola has nurtured that sort of quality. And he, he recognised De Bruyne could have been one of the best players in the world sort of as soon as he he got to City. Um, so nurturing that quality, putting that at the centrepiece of a lot of his teams and a lot of his success at City is really just like inspired and, and, and like informed what midfielders should be for the last few years. I think one of the main points that I mentioned um, in regards to Guardiola is a lot of Guardiola's ideals are just what becomes the norm and, and and the sought after in world football. I think Guardiola plays with these tiny, diminutive, technical midfielders. Everyone wants to do that. Then he plays with De Bruyne as his centrepiece, strong, sort of box-to-box, almost English in, in his sort of uh, midfield profile. Um, yeah. And then now people want to clamour over that sort of profile. I think Jude Bellingham probably is is a guy who plays similarly to, to De Bruyne at the moment rather than sort of Gundogan and Bernardo uh, the players who he's he's linked to, to replace um, so yeah I think in general you have these Guardiola abilities and, and traits and inventions that really just inform what the rest of the world are going to do uh, and it's a testament to his, his yep. ingenuity I think yeah novel novel solutions I think that always puts Guardiola as, as the number one guy and we saw that we saw that so many yeah, different he was, little, little I think he even yesterday. said in like this. Yeah, he did like a six minute interview after the game, Pep Guardiola. And one of the questions he was asked about was, um, I think, no, yeah, yeah it, was, it was about him. But he was basically talking about Kevin De Bruyne and how he gets into these hot zones. And one of the major kind of, problems with Arsenal yesterday was the fact that they they went they went so high with the press, went so aggressive with the press, and they basically left Thomas Party as the single pivot with Roger with Rob Holding and Gabriel and then either one of Ben White and Zinchenko as the back three. Mm. And when you've got KDB who's playing in between that six and the back line and you've got Haaland who's playing in between that six and the back line. That's not a two-man job. That it, it can't be a two-man job. And they both went man-to-man. Yeah. And at times, Thomas Partey didn't know where he off. He was so he was so unaware of everything around him yesterday. Well, you know, Thomas you know what really so so with our box, we obviously we had Gundogan Rodri and then the two centre backs, both sort of Arsenal's centre midfielders in um in Shaka and Party, either or or both sort of jumped on onto our two centre midfielders. Um, and then you yeah. had you had Gabriel and Holding 
sort of versus our front two. Um, and I think De Bruyne mentioned it himself, the way that obviously we had we had four in the build-up and then Haaland sort of dropping and, and being occupied by one of the centre-backs that left the space in behind uh, him for, for, for yeah. De Bruyne to run onto. Um, yeah, there was so much space in front of Arsenal's back line. Like, yeah. it was really poor. And I just... And I just think if there's one team you don't want to give up space in that area to, it's probably Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne. Like, I just I think it's it's difficult. I do though. I do sympathise with him, but I do sympathise with him because he did say in the post match interview it was like I would never change my play style. Like I believe this is our football should be played. Yeah. Them Crowfian principles, blah 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 blah. But I also do admire the pragmatic side of it and understanding that this is the best team in the world right now. This is a team that's on for the treble. Yeah. We have to try and play somewhat to their um, weaknesses and somewhat to their are trying to hinder what they can do on the ball. But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think any any tactical tweak would have would have done anything in that game. I, I genuinely do stand by that. I think City just City were in the mood in the mood during the groove, and I think the mentality of City players when it gets to these sort of points in the year is now also it's just becoming you know like rhythm like it's just rhythm for them. It's just going through the motions. You know, yeah. how many big games have City had at home where they have to win and they always win? They always win in the big games at home. Because we won 15 yeah. in a row. Uh, Fernandinho got injured, Gundogan slot in, in at six. We won 15 in a row. Every game, game yeah. after game it, after game. Like. I just, I, don't, I can't think of a game where City have just had a big game at home and, you know, the full-time whistle's gone and Pep's apologising to the fans and City players have got their hands on their heads. I can't think of one. Yeah. Every last, you know, the last two games of the season that were home games... The Villa game, the Liverpool games. I mean, the thing is, we always, we always make it everything. spicy for ourselves. We always sort of go behind. Yeah, you always heat it up in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, heat it up a little bit. Um, like, I thought I thought Arsenal were going to score first. Yeah. I actually thought Arsenal were going to come out of the blocks because they're fast starters. Hmm. And I thought, without the without the left-back uh, in, in Ake there and the, the bit of mix-ups and stuff like that, I was thinking they could just, first five minutes, play through Sitter, hmm. get a goal, Martinelli, and that's little run-off celebrate. But I still thought in my head that City will just grow into the game and it's all, it's just so comfortable for them. I, I don't know what it is. I think the City crowd sort of anticipates so, that they're going to get, they're going to win these big games. Yeah. I was just going to mention this. So th- I think there's another angle to the entire game. Obviously, I think just wrapping up on the tactical uh, sort of on-field things, um, I think we obviously just took advantage of like surprising Arsenal a little bit with our shape and then sort of just the, the sheer quality to like play through in that deserving way, sort of escaping the pressure, the little tiny, tiny spaces exploited and playing quite vertical through the middle. Uh, Edison standing on the ball and drawing one of the extra men onto him yeah. and then exploiting that space. Like, I think we have to put our hands up and say Deserby's sort of a brilliant manager for bringing and, and highlighting sort of these principles into our league. But I think I think Pep did it maybe better than, than Brighton have done all season. And I think... yep. That's not a slight on Brighton, but I think with the quality uh, at Pep's disposable at at Pep's disposal, sorry, and sort of Pep's genius as well, it, it makes it easier. Um, and and Pep really wanted to go through the middle, just so once you escape that pressure, you're running at the back line and you get De Bruyne in those spaces as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, Gundogan was so good again. First off, yeah, second half bit leggy, but first yeah. off, amazing. Yeah, um, there was one half turn he did on the halfway line where, like, they did they tried to like it was one of the one of the rare instances that City like in the first half just completely cut through Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, and they just popped it around and they just give it Gundogan and he just drops the shoulder and I'm thinking this guy's about thirty two. 
I just like galloping through the midfield and gives the... it to Grealish. And I'm like, <laughs> there, was, there was one part okay. where he was on the like left wing. He burst past someone and he like squared it, and I was like, yeah, how are you doing yeah. that on the left wing? Like, like it's ridiculous for yeah. sort of a control. I feel like as well. Something that like I didn't I didn't even speak about this in the well I did speak about it in the video but I didn't give them praise. I feel like the wingers for Manchester City off the ball do the most important stuff. Mm. Like okay. I think I just think when because of the position that Jack Grealish holds and with Bernardo kind of almost coming inside and a bit deeper, it, they just you don't want to give them two players space. Mm. So I just feel like they. They're almost like gravitational pulls for opposition players. Yeah. Like you don't want to let Bernardo Silva have space or you don't want to let Jack Grealish have space. So mm. I just feel like the fact that they take up such, not unorthodox positions, but like such complicated positions to mark, it's almost like they they just they just fall into the, the trap of just running with them and trying to stay with them and touch you know, tight. They're two of the hardest players to defend in the league anyway. Yeah. Two, you, two, two things I'll say about sort of our wingers now. I think... We've obviously played with traditional wingers in the past, and I think a lot of City fans really like that, and I've called for that even sort of, especially in our, our poorer moments this season. I think what's really nice about the wrong-footed wingers um, or the opposite-footed wingers is, especially when you're playing back to goal in in the build-up, you have really easy access to that pass inside. Like if if you go into Bernardo's feet, he can find Haaland with relative ease, um, Grealish as well, um, and especially if you play with correct-footed. Um, or not well, like traditional footed uh, fullbacks, then you get sort of access to both angles. Um, sort of that build up facing the, the goal with the left footer in, in Nathan Aki, and then if Grealish does drop deep, right footed access to the inside of the field as well. I think yesterday is impressive because Grealish, in, in really small spaces, managed to, to evade and escape a lot of pressure and sort of got past Ben White on, on quite a few occasions. Um, yeah, a little touch down the line was nice. Yeah, yeah, I love like, that. Did a little, yeah, nice one. Yeah, uh, and then just generally, sort of this like, um, sort of more more cautious or or, or more sort of ball uh, retentive play from from the wide players. Um, and I don't know if that's because we've maybe lost the ball or, or conceded chances out wide in the past. Uh, because I know our sort of our central defense and, and central rest defense has always been strong but I think maybe in wide areas in the past we've lost it and conceded chances I think Pep's are kind of the, uh, the kind of guy to really look at any tiny weakness and, and eliminate it just to he, he's sort of building this complete like machine it's ridiculous um, so it's yeah. really interesting you bring bring up the wingers um, in that way I wanted to go back to the uh, other sort of more intangible uh, effect of, of this game uh, before we wrap up the podcast um, and you mentioned sort of the crowd I think a lot of Arsenal fans were really impressed by um, sort of the home support uh, after the fact. I think in the fact they, they couldn't care less. But um, yeah, I, I saw a tweet from someone uh, from Arsenal fans saying it felt like a uh, like a two thousand five Champions League semi final kind of kind of night. Yeah, um, and I, I I know where the jokes of like empty head and sort of City having no fans come from, but I think it's disingenuous to say that City aren't a really sort of tough ground to go to, especially in the last few years. Any big game, sort of Etihad is, Etihad's a fortress, genuinely. I think sort of after Anfield, after St. James, a big, big game at the Etihad. Champions League game or a title deciding game. The only team who's had success there recently in like the past two or three years is us. Yeah, yeah. 
and that and that's only because it's a derby and because it's probably like we probably have nervousness we probably still have like yeah nervousness from ollie yeah yeah just like historical nervousness anyway like like everything goes out the window when it's like a true derby but i think yeah with man i I hate that fixture i hate it yeah like it's more daunting than the anfield stuff is like i don't dread anfield anymore because i know that we don't have a good record at anfield so i just i don't i don't like I don't look at that game, but when I go to when we go to Etihad, I'm like, we could get something here, no matter the occasion. <laughs> so it makes me nervous because yeah, I'm yeah. like, we could get blown out here, like six 0 Yeah, there was um yeah. when when we were rubbish, um, and we were sort of just playing for mid tables or to stay up, um, like our game of the season was sort of United because we were like, even if we don't compete for yeah. anything important, like form sort of goes out the window like the, the, the saying is form goes out the window in a derby and we could always get something against United even if we were whatever but like um, in, in that sort of way there's probably still that that residual nervousness um, although I think if Oli and Oli's side were playing against Pep's City now I think City sort of have the means to to sort of snuff oh, out a, a counter attack like that um, but yeah, yeah just 100% just going back to City's sort of intangibles in general. I think the conversation beforehand was, was really interesting. Um, sort of Arsenal fans on social media, whatever, almost like accepting of, of the season being gone before kickoff had even happened. Yeah. Um, even I, did, I first... didn't, I didn't, I understand it. I understand it, but I think this is something that England as a national uh, football team has had over the past few years. And that inferior mentality is something that I really don't like. Mm. Um, I I think we are going to get beat in the FA Cup final. Yeah. But you best believe before I'm going into the FA Cup final, I'm not accepting that we're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't I don't like that perspective on football. Um. Yeah. You know, I'm quite old fashioned in thinking that it's it's ninety minutes of football. Um. Gary Neville's quote was amazing. Bet- by the way, did you did you hear when he said if you if you'd given Arsenal or any team one game one ninety minute game at the start of the season and said if you win this you win the league you would have taken it. Yeah, and I think that exactly, that's and that's all amazing. it boils down to. Yeah, and I think this is something that England have suffered with. Like they, they go in as a national team, they used to go into the you know the Germany game, the Italy game, you know any of the games against like Brazil or Argentina or France or anything. We always, as a country, just expected to lose the game, and it was always like oh, I could get battered here. And I feel like Arsenal, the next step, and this comes straight from the players as well after the Gabriel Jesus interview after the game where he even mentioned. Uh, the mentality and lack of winners in the team, that needs to change. And I understand they are the youngest yeah. team in the league, yeah. so it, yeah. it isn't going to come easy, but that is the next step. More than, more than squad depth and squad depth quality, it's accepting the fact that Arsenal are a serious team and a, a title contending team going forward. Um, they might not do it again next season, but they have literally shown that they can do 80% of the job. Yeah. Um, and the last 20% is either inferior mentality you know, tiredness, which is not going to get any easier. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a few things. I think I think it's that mentality for sure. Uh, I think it's a little bit about Arteta's ability to create a novel solution, like I've always praised Pep for, in the face of injuries, particularly. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also a little. And let's bit not forget, of- Arteta has outperformed the team, like one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I I will say, I will say that. Arsenal, when they have their starting eleven and sort of the eleven that Arteta has helped build from the transfer window, because he knows these are the players that I like, these are the players that fit my team. 
he's really good with his plan A. I think it's almost similar to to yep. Klopp in that way. Um, I think I think I think Arteta definitely has more tactical now than Klopp, but I think in terms of sort of having to stray away from his system when there are players that can't fit in, he's less able to either switch the system or he's less able to look at some of his other players and say, fine, maybe I can play you out of position and maybe you'll be able to do this yeah. role, for example. This is a, that's kind of something that I was... So I was having a conversation the other day and I'm, we've let this run over a bit, but I was having a conversation the other day with someone on Twitter and they were basically saying, how much do you think the Saliba thing um, kind of like did throw a spanner in the works for the last couple of games? Yeah. And, and I was saying that I do think Saliba is a massive miss, but I also think... It's not just having Saliba that having no Saliba is not the massive miss because you've not had Gabriel Jesus throughout the season in mm. in parts. You know you've had to uh, not use Thomas Partey in parts of the season, but your your player who's under them in the squad are more light profile and more light quality fits than a Rob Holden is, for example. The problem and let's is let's not forget by the way, Tommy Yasu is the actual replacement. Um, yeah, Tommy Yasu well. is is the guy who's supposed to play there, so it's not. It's not the fact that you don't have Saliba. Yes, Saliba is a unicorn and a half and one of the best in the Prem for sure. But it's not, he's not the reason, his injury isn't the reason. It's the fact that the depth is so bad. Going into next season, if he got injured again, you'd hope that you'd have the players available, the quality available. Yeah. Likewise, if an Erdegaard got injured, a Saka, a Martinelli. It's just the teething problems that come with a team that are challenging this early. Do you think there can be an argument made for, for not trying Ben White back at centre-back with, with Gabriel? And then finding a solution. Yeah. On, yeah. The thing yeah, is, that I, do, I, I do think, because I think Arsenal fans were kind of crying out for, after the first game of Rob Holden, uh, where they dropped points, Arsenal fans were already calling out for um, just something, just something changed. But I think the problem is, is it sounds so, it sounds so thingy now we've got past the moment, but it could, could it have gone any worse? Mm. If you, you know played what? Ben White there and tried someone at right back, I've seen shouts for Thomas Party at centre half and, Stuff like that. So I'm I wouldn't not... have played party centre centre half. I think his temperament is, yeah. is a fugazi to to play in a, a position where you need sort of control and discipline. And yeah, he's still susceptible to Maybe like to a party at like at right back possibly. Yeah. I saw that suggestion. Yeah, right back probably. Yeah, I think because um, like Jacken can obviously play left back. And you know another so. another another thing I will mention um, is with Guardiola because we because we have a small team. Uh, and we're constantly rotating. Players are always getting some experience somewhere, even with really fringe yeah. players like Sergio Gomez, for example. Now he's got experience in a DM wing, left back. At a pinch, worst case scenario, three, four injuries down the line. You know that he can sort of come in there and and not be completely new to that situation. And obviously, Arsenal have some players, um, sort of, um, in their squad who who could have had more minutes at some point in the season. Maybe Rob Holding could have played uh, sort of last 10 minutes, last 20 minutes of cup games or, or games that they'd already won to first yeah, for... sort of become uh, sort of used to the system, form these relationships with their players, but also just so that the fans don't have such a negative reaction to their inclusion in the first place. I think when Holding comes into the team, yeah. they're already accepting that they're going to lose. Um, and that just sort of bleeds through the entire fan base, club, mentality. Yeah. Um, I think it's unfortunate that it coincided with that Liverpool game at Anfield because I think Liverpool at Anfield is a myth anyway. And then once you drop points there, it sort of starts that cycle unless you break out of it and, and follow it up with a win. It's almost a self-fulfilling yeah. thing. Like they've, 
in the last four yeah. games they haven't won. Two two to um uh, to, to Liverpool, two two to West Ham, uh three three Southampton, four one City. Chelsea is a really meaty game, but on the back of such a poor run, who knows what happens? If yeah, if they win there, who then knows? I think they'll get some momentum. But then it can instantly be halted yeah. again by by that game. One, one thing, the last thing I will say is, I've Arsenal fans better really hope. I know it might not seem like much, but they better hope that this season doesn't derail because the last thing you'd want to do is have that good of a ninety percent of the season and then just completely crucify everything you've done hmm. by finishing ten points behind behind the pace and. I understand. I understand the things that are going on with Arsenal right now. I understand the the depth that needs addressing and stuff. But I just feel like there there is a proper good team there. Yeah. And if you can finish the season on, I don't know how many points they're projected to finish on. But if you can finish, if they win everything, they get ninety. Season, if they win everything, they get ninety. So maybe yeah, some someone. It's like so like at ninety eighty seven points. You you probably look at back, look back at that and go, bloody hell! Like if we would have got three or three more points or six more points like we could have been there on the last day stuff like that and then yeah. you look back and it just it's a bit more fire for it whereas like just 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 sacrificing you know the league the lead of the season and then just capitulating for the thing is I, I, I'm a little bit one. concerned just because it feels like everybody's accepted that the league's gone for yeah that's a, don't I, mean. I don't like that I don't I like really that either don't. when, like, when even, we were eight points behind I said we're winning the league, and I I'm, I believe that. Yeah, and I think even in the I past, probably, City have felt that. I, I would, I would have had it subconsciously that if we went into a game against City that was a one-off shootout, I'd have had it, I'd have had it like it could be done. But I'd have never. I just I just wouldn't have counted us out. I'm not sure if it was trying to like but, reverse jinx it. Like no, I don't know, but I think I just, you know I just never would have done it. I, I think just never would have. I think it's just Arsenal plus holding plus three games without a win. Yeah, against City. With Harland, yeah. with all of these sort of wins in a row, it's just this aura, momentum, and this this like. Yeah. I wonder when it story. started. I wonder when like, I wonder when like the average Arsenal fan realised like, oh, like said to themselves, we really aren't fucking winning this league now. It must have been at, like at I really Liverpool. wonder. It must have been at Liverpool, man. Not at Liverpool. Mm. Like, like I think that's when the doubt would have came in because they they were winning everything before then. Um, I think for I us, was just I was. I was pretty confident that we were going to win it. I'm not going to lie, man. I was... I was bullish. And, like, and to be fair, it's still know, like, there's, there's still five games to go or whatever, so who knows? But like... Nah, there is, of course. Uh, I don't know, I just thought... I just thought, up until the Liverpool game, I was like, they're good at everything, like... And they started that well, and the City might also be the best team in the world and win every single game, but I just expected Arsenal just to... Well, like, if they would have won every game up to City and then lost against City and then won every game, Even they probably would have yeah. still won the league, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like... So I was a bit, I was just a bit like, well, that's possible, that's doable. Right? Yeah. But yeah. then, obviously, just... Yeah. Shout out Southampton, shout out West Ham. They really, they really helped us out. The thing is, yeah. uh, as as we wrap it up, I, I will say, it's it's, uh, it's this inevitability that, that's associated with Man City that, that makes them so impressive. It's yeah. just that, I don't know, it's that aura, man. Uh, <laughs> it's clockwork it literally it's is it's clockwork for him now man it's clockwork yeah I, you know what I just hope that selfishly I hope that Arsenal do sort of capitulate a little bit in the next two games because I think it'll give us the best opportunity to compete for, for the other trophies I think if we sort yeah. of wrap up the league early I don't want to be competing for the league like against Brentford and Brighton on the last couple of weeks um, yeah but we'll see where it goes I think you're playing for trebles and we're playing for a high line yeah <laughs> You're trying to get three regains and, and high claims. I just want to beat the press. Yeah. I just want to beat the press, man. 
<laughs> we're not even getting pressed and we're still going long. <laughs> you, you see our game and we've got about four guys around our players and we're just passing it. Through just, the middle, just popping it around. Through the middle, in and around. Popping it. Um, a Kanji left back. To, yeah, oh, wow. Um, if that was our, if, if we had our boots on there, that's Maguire or Rafa Varane playing left back, by the way. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it must be amazing to, to be coached by Pep because you just, it must just be I such hate a, how good some people are at football, honestly. Yeah. I hate it. I love it. I want that. Manchester City. I want Manchester it City my club, man. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll call it wraps after. You know what? This is a good episode for me. Arsenal loss, United capitulate in the United second half. Head loss. Head, head loss. loss. United head loss. Yeah, we'll give you that. And then a uh, Man City dominant performance. Um, so age, I'm I'm sorry for, uh, you know, gloating uh, at, at 11 p.m. Uh, but it had to be done. One second, let me. Before we go, who's our next game? I'll tell you if it's a loss or a win. Villa at home stinks of a draw. Stinks of a draw. Who, wait, who are you playing? Villa at home. Oh, you know, I and then we got Brighton was. away. Oh my god, you've got hard fixtures. Okay, yeah. Ooh. Why does it say Dortmund and Rex? Oh, it's preseason. I was about to. I was about to. Say. Oh yeah, Rex. <laughs> you've got relegated already. Like <laughs> Rex, we're in the prem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright fine we'll call it wraps appreciate everyone for listening we said 30 minutes by the way uh, it's 50 yeah we did so fair. it is what it is yeah. um, we'll get this chopped up edited posted um, some point tomorrow um, follow us on socials by the way clips going out edited we got yes. some help um, which is lovely uh, give us some feedback on those um, at and again podcast on TikTok and Instagram um, and on Twitter um and yeah give us a review on whatever streaming platform you're listening to uh us on give us a follow all that good stuff appreciate you listening um any suggestions topics guests as always leave them on our socials uh and we'll catch you again either next thursday friday um we should pick a specific day you know i think we should but you know what the game yeah. the, you know what kind of all right this podcast will be about an hour long what i will say is <laughs> The, the fixtures every week change alright sometimes it's a good game on Thursday and then what yeah. do we do um, so we'll play it by I couldn't. End. I couldn't record either yesterday or Tuesday because there was just too much football yeah there's just too much good football to watch you know what I mean so so you know I, I, I'll say we, we'll aim for Thursdays but if there's good games on Thursdays we'll aim for Fridays and if there's no good games on Thursdays or Fridays we'll aim for Wednesdays who knows uh, but midweek every week we'll be there see you next we week we will